see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. Yeah, guy. What's up, bro? <laughs> yeah. We are spitballing. It is spit. This is All Things Surf, a podcast. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass with you here. And it is Tuesday, September 1st. Is it? Yes, it's the first day of September. David, welcome. Thanks, Scott. Good to see you once again on our weekly schedule now. We, um, yeah, for the time I, being. <laughs> I mean, we're no. I think it's good. We're doing. I guess we missed a week just recently, but well, next good to week's see you weekly. Oh, really? Yeah, that's why I was laughing. Next week's not going to happen. Is, are you doing your surf trip that you um, teased us with last week? Um, I'm actually going on a bowling trip. I'll be bowling at various <laughs> bowling locales. I've got lawn bowling lined up with a smaller. You know, the smaller ball that's kind of got more of like it's just easier to control. And then yes. I've got big, big bowling lined up at a traditional bowling alley. And then um, there's some other bowling that's going to come into play. So do you uh, travel with your own bowling balls? I used to, but it gets too expensive. They're a pain to carry around the airport. So there's this new bowling ball rental company out there. Um, and so I use them. It's a great service. Away, nice tell them away to... ball? <laughs> no, no, it's, I can't tell you the name of it because there's, I don't want my balls to be, you know, already rented. Mm. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's a great service. Let me ask you this. Uh, what venues are you going to go bowling at? Well, um, again, that's because there's limited resource. I can't tell you exactly where I'm going to be bowling. There's ten only lanes, so many. Ten pins, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. There's just a limited number of pins. And like lawn bowling's outside, so the, the wind affects it too. So you want to be able to lawn bowl when it's lack of wind because you don't, yeah. So that's good. That's a good detail for me to um, use my investigative process this is outdoor, natural bowling. You're not well, going. The, the lawn bowling is, of course, outdoors. I don't know where you could get both lawn and indoor. Where That's is why there I'm a keeping venue? it a secret? That's why it's a secret. I can't tell you exactly where I do my bowling. Um, what are the what? Okay, in the time of COVID, in the age of the virus, yes. what what are the protocols for traveling to go lawn bowling? Well. I have, um, you might be able to see this. This is a uh, hand sanitizer that you use between each and every bowl. You spray this on your fingers. Right. And then when you retrieve the ball, if it had picked up any COVID along the way, you clean it, clean your hands, and then you're set for your next roll. What about the authorities? Are you going to be crossing any borders? Are there any, do you have to be tested to travel? Uh, not that I know of, but, okay. um, yeah. Okay. Um, completely unrelated. Will you be bringing any surfboards with you on this bowling trip? Yes. <laughs> and what, yes, which, I will. Which I'm glad boards, you brought the, what boards are you considering for the trip? This board behind me that you see that I was showing off last week. Yep. And my friend, uh, Don Sanford, Sanford shapes. He made me this wooden surfboard. It's Polonia with some Koa and it's 510 and it's made with like a ribbed construction kind of, well, very, very similar to the way the guys at Grain do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then there's this Polonia sort of deck and bottom. And look at Sophia. Is it Sophia or Sophie? Yep, both. When she's, yeah. when she's in trouble, it's Sophia. But in general, it's Sophie, sometimes Soph. She has an incredible distant, uh, uh, disposition. Yeah. Her she, demeanor is, she's just really, um, 
She's beautiful, man. She's so beautiful. You're so stoked. Look at that beautiful dog. She really, uh, talking about disposition, uh, honestly, I can't overstate it. Uh, we've done well to like give her consistent discipline and affection and all that, but she showed up with a great disposition. We're only just kind of helping aid the process. Yeah. It was pure luck. So. Now, are you taking her to um, socialization classes? Um, so we're not allowed to actually take her out in public until all her vaccines are done, which will be the end of the month. But we can take her places where we know the dogs are fully vaccinated. So we have friends and both of our parents have dogs and we have been taking them there. So, right. and my girlfriend, Lauren's parents have a pool. So we've taken her over there and she's going in the pool, swimming, all that sort of stuff. So the oh, answer is yes. Cool. Yeah. 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 She needs to be acclimated to other dogs so that, you know. yeah. Yeah, she is. She's really good so far. Um, but back to your board. So yeah. wood framing. Yeah. It's 510. Um, it's a cool little board. I've been riding it. The, the waves have gone flat. As you know, it's just been horrid. We had a couple but, little days of south, like straight south swell the last few days. Oh, yeah. It doesn't really get in here. There's yeah. been some small little three-footers if you hunt them down. But because the water chilled down again, it's been hard to hunt down two-foot surf. Dude, it was literally 78 one week. And then within four or five days, it was 64 degrees. Yeah, it's really chilly down here. But um, anyway... That's one of the boards I'm taking on my bowling trip. Nice. Um, so I know Grain sells kits so that you yes. could actually make your own board. Does he do that as well? You know, I don't, I'm not sure. I think he's, I know that him, he and his sons make skateboards. Oh, he has an incredible wood shop. Like his wood shop's just like out of this world, insane, like uber uber insane woodshop. Like, I don't know how to describe it other than to say it's a professional woodshop. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, cause he's like, he, well, he is a carpenter and a, um, and a construction, you know, developer by trade. Oh, okay. So he builds custom homes and stuff. Got it. But, um, so I'm not, I think that they're going to start production of, of surfboards. That's my gut feeling. Okay. Um, and again, this one's special, as we mentioned last time, this is sort of a prototype because I, I really wanted a board that didn't have any fiberglass on the bottom or the deck. I wanted to, I wanted wood on water, no fiberglass between the wood. I wanted to try to get as pure a flex pattern that wood provides. And again, I might be, and I am, I'll just say I am rather naive and, um, clueless about anything that has to do with wood and how it bends relative to foam and fiberglass and it's all just a learning process which is what life is really and uh, as soon as I think I know it all that's when you need to shoot me because um, you know it's fun to learn and that's kind of what we're doing at least I am I'm in the learning process here with the wood shooting you because you don't know something is a pretty drastic measure <laughs> I know and I'd, <laughs> I'd be dead already right <laughs> Um, the reason why I was asking if he sells the kits is just because once you design that framework, it's for a specific board, right. like yeah. a specific size and a specific model. You can't just transfer that frame yeah. into a fish or whatever else. So yeah. once you design all of that intricacy, you want to be able to replicate it, obviously. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And in fact, you know, I see your Simon Jones. Is that Simon Jones behind it you? It is. It is. Yeah. I see your Simon Jones behind you and and frankly, this board, I would like it if this, if I could get this technology in a bigger board, you know, I would like to oh. get a mid length in this. Um, and that's simply not doable until you get, until you create sort of that, that framework, which you can then just punch out a hundred of them. Right. Um, but, but it's kind of fun that we're talking about surfboards because I just finished watching Noah Dean's electric acid surfboard test on stab. Mm -hmm. They put it up for free. I have a list of the 10 boards, David. 
and sort of my thoughts on this. I don't know if you've watched this. Maybe we should wait until you've seen this or have you already, did you pay to watch this? No, I did not pay to watch it. I watched all of the um, three to five minute clips that they put out through the last couple of months, but I haven't watched the film in its entirety. Uh, I would like to talk about it because there's a couple of tangents that I think I have that relate exactly to it. Um, and I'm not sure which direction we should go first because we'll probably forget if we don't do it in some cohesive fashion. But while you mentioned this mid-length behind me, I actually interviewed Simon Jones. I'll probably publish it next week or something. Yeah. Um, and it was really, it was a great chat. It was kind of, yeah. a, it reminded me of just like, uh, those guys, like that whole collective of Simon as the shaper. I mean, you could even uh, lump in Albie Falzon as the filmmaker that was the genesis with Morning of the Earth and the surfboard brand or the yeah board building brand is Morning of the Earth surfboards. But then Torin Martin as a surfer, Ishka Folkwell as the filmmaker and Need Essentials as the brand that kind of puts it all together. They're all so good at what they do and they all um fit one another style so perfectly like none of it is contrived the surfing torn surfing simon's boards is a match made in heaven i don't know that you could have taken any other high performance short border and asked them to ride those boards and they would really connect with them in the way that torn has because by the way torn was a high performance short border in his youth you know when simon met him so like he does simon's boards a justice that I don't know a lot of other surfers would, but through doing that, it's opened up that genre of surfboard, the mid length and the fuller volume thing to everybody else. And it turns out it's more applicable to guys like you and I to new surfers, average surfers, beginner surfers. It's more applicable to everybody and it's applicable in waves from one foot to head high. Um, and it's much more user friendly than pointy thrusters ever were, you know? And that pairing of those guys have just been kind of the perfect little secret sauce, I think, to unlock it. Yeah, yeah, you bring up some good points. Um, I would also suggest to you that that whole genesis, that whole beginnings of that thing, is actually goes way, way back, as you know. That whole Byron Bay sort of, that whole scene there runs basically from I would suggest maybe the central coast of New South Wales all the way up to um, the Sunshine Coast. Um, but specifically, I mean, if you wanted to find the little bubble of it, it's the Byron Bay area, mm -hmm. right? And so, I mean, when you think about, you, you know, generations past, I mean, you obviously you think Greeno, and then, you, you know, there's Dick Van Straal, and there's a bunch of guys in that little zone that created this thing that has now sort of, bubbled again to the surface in a cyclical fashion with Simon Jones and um, Torin. And of course, you know, you've got Rasta in there and you've got um, all sorts of shapers. I mean, we're, I guess what I'm saying is I don't want to just give those guys that you mentioned all the credit for this. I think that, that that area has, has been bubbling with this thing for since it's since, since, you know, day one, I mean, you know, like, yeah, you know, it's funny, you were mentioning too, like these boards are applicable for guys like us, you know, like 30 something, 40 something, 50 something surfers. If you look at some of the surf films from back then, like say 1975, 1980, you know, you, you see footage of, of um, like Ang Gary, like Nat Young on riding a 7-2 single, film. you know, yeah. like you see footage of, um, of, uh, Wayne Lynch, you know, you, I mean, my point is, is that guys have been riding these seven foot surfboards forever, specifically in that time period between the single fin, they were trying to make the single fin more maneuverable and the twin fin sort of coming of age with Reno and MR, specifically MR. That little era there, like say 76 to 80, was really when guys were trying to find a single fin that had that maneuverability. And anyway, my point is, is that this is nothing new, nothing in surfboard design is, as we all know. And, um, but you're right. The aesthetic that they're bringing to it now is sort of interesting. And, and, you know, the first board that they, that he tries that Noah Dean tries in this stab thing is the Simon Jones morning of the earth surfboard, which is 
in the previous version of the electric acid surfboard test, that's the board that Stephanie Gilmore picked as the winner. Not the exact same model, but the Simon Jones board. Um, and by the way, I didn't mean to say that these guys are responsible for this, you know, this new movement. But I, what I meant to say is that their collective, they're all the, there's four or five creatives and their collective has hit at a moment where they've leveraged YouTube and Instagram and Torrance style and all of those things just all kind of came together to where this is a really, there's like a nexus. Whereas I feel like some of those other things were ha happening in a geographic area, but maybe they didn't, weren't able to act. If it was happening in Angary, maybe we didn't see it in California or it was happening simultaneously in California. We didn't know it was happening in Angary until years later, that sort of thing. Right yeah. now, the information just travels so fast and they're so good at what they do and they've captured our collective kind of interest somehow. And, um, it's pretty special, but also Simon references exactly what you said. And he actually pinpoints it to a specific conversation where Albie Falzon was, um, I think he was in Sydney on a city street and some nuns were out doing evangelizing essentially. And he was a young impressionable kid who looked like he was wayward and the nuns started talking to him and were like, what do you want out of life? You know, what's your direction? What are you doing? What are your ambitions? And through that conversation, it became crystal clear to him that he wanted to make a surf film. He said, I love film and I love surfing and I would love, it wasn't the sure answer. The wasn't, are you sure there wasn't some LSD mixed into this? I didn't say there wasn't. Um, and I there's talked to some nuns and I decided <laughs> to make a surf film. <laughs> That's quite a leap. He's like, turns I'm out I've never even been to Sydney. <laughs> I personally want to go talk to some nuns right now based on this info. <laughs> um, but I mean, he, for him, it became crystal clear in that moment what he wanted to do. And it, the ideas were probably floating around before, but until they kind of asked him in a very pointed direction. So you could, Simon was saying, you could even attribute all of these things now to that interaction on a street corner in Sydney. You know? I'm, I'm fascinated by this. I'm, I'm claiming now that... The Catholic Church is why we are where we are at this moment. And I mean, I don't think you can deny it. That it's is absolutely pretty incredible. True. Speaking of which, have you read the book, um, speaking of Morning of the Earth, have you read the book Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett? No. Okay, listeners out there, if you're into reading books or even listening to them, you need to read this book. It's a fascinating, wonderful, page-turning read that I just think is, uh, it's, it's one of those books that everyone should read. It's kind of like Moby Dick. It's like, you need to read it and you're going to enjoy it. Pillars of the Earth. Okay. What, can Morning you give us a quick synopsis? Um, well, it's, it's sort of based back in like um, post, it's probably, I'm, I'm going to say it's right around like 1200, 1300, 1400 AD and Europe and, and sort of the what happens with community and society and church and and it focuses on one couple of people and as they move through the politics of all of this it's pretty cool it's Is really it good fiction? yes yes okay um do you think you're guaranteed success if you just name your project blank of the earth yes i, I do think so too i do like haircut of the earth That's or coffee of the earth there you or go. You got some of the earth. Winning properties right there. Music of the earth. Well, I mean, let's let's try to find one that doesn't work. I think Con they all condom do. of it. Condom of the earth. <laughs> that could be amazing. That's your best one yet, actually. Um, okay, so back to surfboards. <laughs> okay, yeah. So the electric acid surfboard test. It's on stab. It's free right now. Um, what I liked about this. And what we've known all along is that fins make a huge difference. And in fact, maybe this might be a stretch, but maybe fins are actually more important than the board. If I came to you with a finless board with all these options to put fins in it, I bet you could put a combination of fins in it that made you go, you know what? I actually like this board. There's a bunch of combinations where I don't like this board, but there's combinations of fins that make this board make sense to me. Yeah. And you couldn't you couldn't do much without the board though. 
No, I agree. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it would be hard to go surf on a pair of fins. It's true. But um, I, you know, I found that to be one of my takeaways. Um, well, that's remember, remember when they put out the little teaser or the short clip with um, Blake Peters from Panda? Yeah. And that's exactly what the whole point was with that board is Noah writing the wrong fins in them. And we talked about it on the show and then Blake messaged me and goes, Hey, I'm really glad that you guys highlighted that because I felt like my board didn't really, like it wasn't really done justice because that's not the way it was meant to be written. It wasn't meant to be written with that setup. Well, that, that brings up a whole nother point, which is, and, and, and he's, he's correct. You know, um, I think that the surfer, in this case, Noah Dean, but whoever the surfer is that they pick, they need to spend more time in the water on each board. And I'm suggesting maybe even cut the number of boards down to five. Yeah. Because, I mean, look, we got five twin fins. You know, like, at some point, this can't be a marketing project for the surfboard builder. It has to be, a, like, let's give them a twin fin, a single fin, a tri-fin, a four fin, and something else. You know, and let's give him time in the water and I know that there's no right or correct format for this. This that's kind of the beauty of this. And I've spoken with Ashton about this and, and I know you have too. And believe me, he's heard all of this before and he's got a really good comeback for why they do 10 boards. And, and, you know, they've thought it all through. They've sat in editorial meetings at the people at staff and gone through all this, but I, I do think that more time in the water on each board would be crucial. Um, and I don't like it that the surfer knows which shaper it is beforehand, because I do think that, that they go into it going, I don't want to sound like a dick and hurt the shaper's feelings if I don't like this board, which is totally normal. And I get it. And in fact, you and I come on here on this podcast and I quite frankly don't want to say anything bad about any of these boards because I don't think any boards are bad. One, two, I do business with each and every one of these guys. And three, none of these boards are bad. It's, you know, like you've got different elements that they're riding the boards in. You've got different fins that they're riding them on. You've got you and I, everybody likes a different thickness. And so there's no such thing as a bad surfboard. But you, that being you, said, but wait, you, you saying that you don't like that the surfer knows which shaper shaped the board. They, they actually don't, they're not told which shaper shapes the board, but oftentimes they they're do, able uh, to identify it. Yeah. They, they can tell, I mean, even Glenn Pang's signature, not his signature, but his script yeah. was on this, was on the foam. And Michael Mason Ho's like, this is a Pang. At the beginning of the but, episode, but if you stab, watch it... But Stab doesn't tell them. They figure it out. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that they, they do a better job in the Stab in the Dark of, okay. of absolutely going, we're not telling you. Whereas in this, I think they're more like, I mean, dude, there's a Bonzer. You know what I mean? Like, I know. It's well, pretty it, obvious that it's a Bonzer. Is clearly. it Campbell Brothers? Probably. Yeah. At the beginning, I don't know, did you see the beginning clip where he's asked to figure out each board? He pretty much nails it. He yeah. nails all 10 of them. Right. And um, because he's told in advance, by the way, he's like, I think he's told in advance, these are the 10 guys. Can you tell which one's which? Because he immediately goes, oh, this one must be the panda. You know what I mean? Like, so he's given some clues. Yeah. Which, again, there's no right or wrong way to do this thing. But um, I'm just concerned that because he knows that who the 10 shapers are, he's, you can tell you can read between the lines when he comes in from the water. He's like, ah, it kind of works okay, which is kind of code for, I don't really like the sport. Yeah. And he can't really say that because he knows, oh, I'm riding the Panda or I'm, or I'm riding the Mayhem or what, you know what I mean? Like totally. he's in that place of, which makes, which is understandable, but he's in that place where he has to be kind of, you know, tiptoeing around some of his criticism perhaps. Right. Um, which board did he ultimately pick as his favorite? The Shroff. That's what I thought. Which, at the beginning of him riding it, didn't look that good at all. Oh, really? But this is a great example of he spent more and more time on the board. And of any of the boards, this was the one board where you went, God, at the beginning, it didn't look like he knew how to ride it. And at the end, he was absolutely ripping on it. I felt like it looked too small. Is yeah. that what your impression was at the beginning? I remember seeing it and thinking like, yeah, there's not enough volume there and it looked too thin even. Um, but you're right. By the end, he did. Back to your original point of knowing who the shaper is. I also feel like he went into that liking Peter Schroff and even said like, oh, I love how he's a rabble rouser. And he's like, you know, 
yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like I like that about his personality. So it's almost like he puts some yes. of the, his own affection on that. Surface. Right. Which is why, which is what brings me to my last point. Like it'd be cool if they didn't even know if he had no idea that, cause Shroff's out of left field. Like if you hadn't told him, Hey, he's one of the 10, I don't think he would have said, Oh, this is a Shroff. This must be the Shroff. You know what I mean? So it kind of, I think it would be cool if there's a little bit more anonymity involved there. Yeah, I agree. So that, that now let's dig into your complete, your conceit. If you just give special, I don't know, affection to a board, can you turn it from a dud into a winner? Like how much of the board's, you know, magic board quality is attributed to your own mental state versus the board's physical design features? Yeah, I think, I think there's something to that. I think a lot, actually. I think that I know that you and I have both tried to love a board, you know, because we're like, oh man, this, you know, like we really, really tried to like this board, but it just didn't work for us or whatever. You know what I mean? Like we've all had that experience. Yeah. Um, which, which is why, you know, it, it, again, anonymity, I think is a, is a better thing here for this. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I can go through all 10 boards real yeah. quick. Yeah, that's it. Um, let me just say this, that um, Stab does a pretty good job of making sure that this isn't a marketing piece for each one of these shapers. And they need to continue with that tone, you know. Um, and Noah Dean's honesty, if you read, again, if you read between the lines in some of his statements, um, it feels as if he's holding back a little bit. We know Noah as sort of this guy that's ready to fly off the rails, and he's not one that's, um, you know, in lack of an opinion. And um, I think when you get Noah Dean, you kind of want more opinion. And, and I sense that he wanted to put more opinion in it. And I sense that he probably did. And I bet there's some opinion on the editing room floor. And, um, and that speaks to a bunch of stuff. Like maybe we shouldn't get a super um, in the limelight surfer to do this. What if we just got a really good surfer that was an average Joe? What if the surfer was, his face was blurred out? What if we made the surfer anonymous so that I mean, he could be completely unbiased and not worried about how he's going to come off to the general surfing public, especially like potential sponsors and the potential, you know. Yeah. I mean, so Beach Grit does surfboard reviews and they use an anonymous surfer. Yeah. They've Good. never identified who the surfer is and is par partially for that exact reason. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, there's, there's something to be said about that for sure. But I mean, I think to me, the success of this is the surfer being able to articulate the difference between the boards. And if the surfer can't do that, you don't need to anonymize them and change the program. You need to find somebody who's more communicative. And Stephanie Gilmore is so far the champion of that. Like Dane Reynolds is pretty short on words. And he also surfed every surfboard as if it was a thruster. So it didn't really do the board any justice. And Stephanie Gilmore waited for the board to kind of communicate to her what it was about. And then she kind of found flow with that board and then came in and confidently articulated the things that she liked and the things that she disliked and also what her own shortcomings were in riding a given board or where she couldn't quite figure it out. Um, so I think that was the most successful version of any of these. So I, I don't know. I, don't, I think I don't that's fast. I think that's fascinating on a couple of levels, right? Because first I think it speaks to Steph's humility, you know, yeah. that, that she's willing to go, I'm just here to learn about myself. I'm not here to, to say, Oh, this board is bad because it didn't fit me. I'm here to say, Hey, maybe I could learn something from this board, which I couldn't quite figure out. Mm -hmm. You know, which is pretty powerful, which, uh, you know, speaks basically to, on some level, to the female ego versus the male ego. But that's going to go down a rabbit hole. Let me just say that the first board he tried was the Simon Jones Morning of the Earth. To me, watching Noah ride this board, I felt like it needed some nose rocker. Was it? it, it tell me about the board design. It, it was basically what's behind you, but probably a smaller version, like a 510. It wasn't it was the... A twin 
Titan fin with tons of tons of deep channel in the tail. The, yeah. the tail looked insane. But there were some late drops. There was some stickiness to the flatness in the nose. Okay. And look, you know, that board, maybe that board's not made for backdoor pipe. You know, maybe exactly. that's why. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. I'm not saying that that the board design isn't valid and correct. I'm just saying that in the waves that the board was written in, it looked like it was having troubles with late drops. There were some moments where the, the ears were catching. That makes perfect sense. But when he got on the tail and was turning it, the, the grip and the tension of the channels off of the tail, it looked really pure and solid for a twin fin, especially through the turns. Um, the second board was the Bonzer Campbell brothers. Um, Jacob Campbell, I guess um, a son of one of them, probably Duncan. I don't know, but um, when one of the things that Noah said, which which I found was fascinating, he goes, "The board worked really good when I got my foot in the right spot." Mm. And of course, I think that's true of any surfboard, but in my own experience, that's been especially true with the Bonzer. That when I got my board, my feet in the right spot, that board was just incredible. Like the amount of drive and the amount of um, just positivity that the Bonzer provides is really cool. Um, now, the third board was the Panda. To me, that board looked a little bit too thick for Noah. Okay. Just, you know, there's, there was some thickness there. Yep. The Mayhem was the next board, a collaboration with Son of Cobra, which I'm not even sure I understand that collaboration. It's, I guess Son of Cobra is a surfboard shaper too. I should probably know that, but anyway, Mayhem. Or maybe that's what it is. I don't know, but... But anyway, um, the man might have been a little bit too experimental for Noah. You know, Noah went into this thing as like, I ride one board, it's a Luke Short, 6-1. Six, six and then when it's 12 feet, I ride a 7-6 Takora. You know, like he, right. those are his two go-tos. So maybe, you know, the mayhem perhaps maybe too experimental for, which is, which is kind of goes against the grain of this whole thing. I'm exactly. sure that Matt son of cobra we're like let's just go crazy here which is the, the tenor of this so i don't know if you can have two of an experimental design for this I, I think that they want you to push the limits there um and again this is i think a case where each board didn't get enough time in the water right um the Pizel was the fifth one that board seemed really fast to me it looked like if simon jones would have incorporated the nose rocker of the Pizel into the tail of his morning of the earth board might've had something there for, for Noah. The sixth board was a Timmy Patterson. The only thruster to me, this board looked like the best board. Surprise, surprise. This seemed like the best board. It was the most contemporary design. And maybe stab goes into it saying, Hey, look, we like to have a baseline. So we always throw a thruster into this. I'm not so sure that does any justice. Yeah, I don't think so either. The next board was the Daniel Jones twin fin. It looked pretty good. Again, maybe not enough time in the water. Um, the next board was the Shroff. We talked about that. The next board was the Town and Country twin fin. Much thicker, more of sort of a 1978 Dane Kilo style twin fin that I don't think Noah Dean liked the thickness. Right. And then the, the, the next one was the CI twin fin, which was a thinned down for modernized version of that TNC. Which, you know, again, at this point, we've, we've got five, five, ten twin fins in the picture already, you know. And yeah. I think at some point, you can, you can narrow this down to just five boards. You the know? trough, by the way, was asymmetrical, right? I don't think it was asymmetrical. It may have been. I don't, I don't want to. I mean, I just watched it. I don't, that didn't stick out to me. I'm pretty sure that it was. Um, and if it was, that detail alone makes it unique and stand apart. Whereas if you're, if he's given a bunch of fairly similar twin fins, it, it, so with one, uh, obviously I'm into wine. We do these blind wine tastings and often the one that wins is just the one that stands out the most, yeah. you know? And if we had had any of these individual wines by itself on a different night and focused our full attention on it, we would have found all sorts of character in it that maybe made it would have made us like it even more. But once you add 10 of something, yeah. the one that is the highest volume just tends to be noticed the most. 
yeah. that could be the thing with the shroff. If it is in fact an asymmetrical, which I think it is, you just start feeling different sensations in it and you go, oh, wow, that's different. That's new. And all of this kind of conformity now feels dull to me. And the yeah. uniqueness of this feels special. Yeah, that's a good point. And when you do these wine tastings, do you ever do them with just five or three? Yeah, we do. And, it, and is it better that way, do you think? Yeah, I think so. If you can, yeah. And generally when we do that, we'll have a much more focused, like all Napa Valley Cabernet or something like that. Right, if there's right. 10, if there's 10, then maybe it's Cabernets from all around the world or something like that. Yeah, that might be something for these guys to think about. Perhaps they're, um, they've got two, they've cast too wide of a net. And again, I think maybe five boards is a good way to go. Just the, thought. again, there's no right or wrong way. And by the way, there's no winner or loser here regarding boards. They're all great boards. Well, the other thing or that could happens, be good boards. The other analogy that I think could be probably accurate um, with the wine. Look, this is somebody's life's work that's put into this thing. And once yeah. you start doing a comparative analysis, you as the critic are looking for fault. If I just open one bottle of wine for dinner by myself, I'm actually looking for virtue. I'm sitting there going, all right, I spent $20 on this. Like, I want to feel good about it. I want to feel good about this purchase. But once you start doing comparative, you're no longer looking for the good qualities. You're actually looking for fault. And I think yeah. that that could be really detrimental. And honestly, those individual surfboard shapers put a ton of work. They put hours and hours into work of work yeah. into those boards to then just put them up for the skewering is almost yeah. unjust, you know, because yeah. again, if Noah, just, like you said, if Noah just had longer, had more time on that board or forget about Noah, if any average surfer paid money for that surfboard and took it to the beach, they would really invest a tremendous amount of work and effort and thought into finding sensations that they like in the board. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And that's an entirely different thing, but I think it, the point is still kind of relevant to the test that they're doing. And I mean, you, you and I've had that experience where I, I've, I've received a new board, ridden it a couple times, kind of went, ah, put it away. And then months would go by and I would reach back into the shed and go, oh, you know what, and pull it out. And all of a sudden, Maybe it's summertime now. I'm not in a full suit. The water's warm. I'm a little looser. And the board just feels great, you know? Right. So some of the things then, based on this conversation, which might be cool, is we limit the number of boards. We suggest to Ashton or if the guy's a beach grid or whoever wants to do something like this, limit the number of boards. What if you just did a twin fin version? Yeah. And then you did like a bonzer version. And then you did like a mid-length. And you just brought in five of those. Yep. There's room for that. It's what, I mean, it's kind of a blend between electric acid surfboard test and stab in the dark. Cause stab in the dark does a very specific style of board, high performance thruster. And it's easier to anonymize that too, because yeah, there's very little difference between them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and the other probably most crucial element that you already brought up, which is the, the guy that's doing the reviews needs to be more articulate. Yeah. And we've mentioned Ryan Birch is a great example of a guy who's a shaper and he's articulate and he can get point A to point B. And there is a disconnect between just like, you know, somebody such as myself or Noah Dean, which might be just kind of, well, not as articulate as we would hope. So I think Birch would be probably the best example. I think Kelly Slater would be in the ultimate get He'd be amazing. Yeah, He's he really articulate good. and he understands board design. Um, I think Dave Rostovich could yep. be amazing at it. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, I'd like to hear from the listeners if there's some people that we're missing that might be really good at, at conveying this and, and doing, you know, being a part of something like that. Uh, what are your thoughts? I would like now for you to share an opinion, Scott. Don't hold back. What are your thoughts on Peter Schroff? I, Peter Schroff is great because he's one of those characters that makes surfing and surfing culture so vibrant. He, we need guys. It's fun to have guys like him. He's sort of like, he's kind of cut from the same cloth as, as Mickey Dora, as um, 
I would suggest maybe Al Chapman as, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a, we're at no loss for sort of outside the box caricatures or characters. And I think Peter Schroff is one of those guys. So I appreciate everything that Peter Schroff is about. Um, you know, surf culture needs that. We, we, we need to move away from homogenization and we need to move, continue to be where we've always been, which is sort of this kind of, um, you know, outside the mainstream, a little bit um, outlaw, a little bit um, individualistic, individualism. Um, you know, the more that we get sort of homogenized by whatever forces, the more you begin to look like me, a guy with a fucking Ruka t-shirt on that's like asking if you got any wax he can borrow. You know what I mean? Like we need to get a little bit crazier. Peter Stroff in a Speedo with a friggin' chainsaw is pretty magnificent. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts on P the, so I'm glad you brought up the chainsaw. It was his performance art piece where I think the first one he did was in Rockaway where he cut a Hayden shaped in defi and it, it was all in kind of defiance of the, um, manufacturing surfboards in Asia. Yeah. And so he was really outspoken anti-Asian surfboard manufacturing. And he's chosen Kelly Slater to be kind of the uh, figurehead of that movement. So yeah. he's anti that and now he's become anti-Kelly. How do you feel about him in regard to those things? Well, I mean, he's passionate, you know, and so I applaud passion. Um, I, I, it's such a fine line, right? Because I'm, you know, me personally, I don't want to um, focus my energy on the negative. I would rather be, you know, tend towards putting my energy towards the positive. And that's not to say that what Peter's did or is doing isn't a positive thing because I, but I do think that there will always, at least at this point in time, for the next hundred years, there will always be small surfboard shapers. We're never moving away from that. It's just the nature of our manufacturing process. You and I can go buy a blank right now and become the next Peter Schroff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or my teenage or my 20 year old kid, or, you know, so the idea that there's going to be some Megla Corp Asian surfboard manufacturer take over. First of all, that already exists. Firewire is that thing. Let's just not, beat around the bush surf tech is that thing there is a megalocorp that is building a lot of you know a big chunk of the of the base of the surfboards that you see when you walk into a surf shop but but those same people also get the fuel to their fire from the guys like Schroff and all of these other surfboard manufacturers that are out there i mean you know Dan Mann is one of those guys and Firewire goes, Hey, let's bring Dan Mann into the picture, you know? And, you know, so I'm personally, I like that there's uh, a Firewire in the picture because it, what it does is there's a yin and a yang, you know, without each, we couldn't have a circular ball. And, and, you know, so I think from the 30,000 foot level, Firewire inspires Peter Schroff. And Peter Schroff inspires Firewire. And, and yin and yang is okay in my book. If we just had yang, maybe not so good, unless it's Andrew Yang. <laughs> if we just had yin, you know, like I said, they need each other. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. Like, I think that the conversation about outsourcing manufacturing is a really good conversation to have like there's lots of conversations to be had around that and with any industry transitioning from cottage to commercial outsourcing is one of the first things that happens so it's no surprise that it would happen with surfboard manufacturing it's happened with shoe manufacturing furniture manufacturing every type of manufacturing in america and so that was inevitable and there's really valuable conversations to have about what are they doing right in that business model? And how do we kind of streamline, I'm going to say our as like the cottage version of the industry. How do we streamline the cottage manufacturers to benefit from some of those more efficient business practices to cut costs while maintaining manufacturing in the U S 
all of that, but also what do we kind of, where do we put our flag down and notify everyone that these are things that you only get out of an American manufactured product and start using that as your marketing. It, you, you can't compete with Asia manufacturing uh, just head to head in the marketplace. You need to differentiate yourself and um, educate the user base on what the differences are and all that sort of stuff. So those conversations are salient and worth having. My concern with Peter Schroff, you know, two years ago when this whole thing was really on fire and he was being very um, incendiary on Instagram was he was driving the conversation into a ditch. It's like, Peter, this is an important conversation to have and there's real converse, real things that we should be discussing, but by you just... Uh, he lacked solution. He didn't have a solution-based well, not only that, Not only that, it was so defamatory. The things that he was saying about Firewire specifically, Mark yeah. Price specifically, yeah. Kelly Slater specifically, were they were infamatory. They were fiction too. I mean, there wasn't... A lot well, of it was fiction. A lot of it was fiction. Unfortunately, enough of it was based in truth because he's worked with those people over the years that it was kind of like, oh, shoot, you probably shouldn't be airing that dirty laundry. That's not really your place to do. But it's also defamatory, some of the other stuff that you're saying. And so while I want to have, while I think that this conversation is important for Scott and I to have maybe on the podcast, we can't now discuss it because we're going to get politicized in your group and you're driving it into a ditch. Like as the figurehead for this uh, anti-Asian thing, you're driving this conversation into a ditch. So well, I think that's where it went. I mean, it, you know, that's the problem. There was a short-term ego boost and a feel-good moment. And then long-term, I'm not sure there was any, we got anywhere. Well, look, rational, level-minded people who are interested in what are the arguments for anti-Asia or why should I support my local shaper thought, oh, well, you're the figurehead of this movement and you're just like saying actually racist things. Remember when he did the Asian yeah. Eye Instagram thing? It's yeah, like, well, yeah. I don't... That's, that's horrible, yeah. Yeah, so I, the people who wanted to like maybe support a local shaper go, oh, well, if you're the one harp, you know, driving this message home, well, I don't look, want to be what, associated. Right. Th so I think that was detrimental to actually a really good cause. Right. Um, so let's bring to light a couple things that um, that are both that are good from each side of the spectrum, right? Like, so I would suggest to you that the firewires are proven good surfboards. Like they go through the ringer before they start punching them out. And I've ridden them. I, I own one. They're great boards. Um, one of the things that's great about our cottage industry here in California and around the world is the nimbleness that we have. In other words, the boards behind you, we can, we can shape and we could actually ride tomorrow. They don't exist and I could go buy the materials, do an overnighter, laminate the board tonight, hot coat it and be riding it tomorrow. So we have this nimbleness that the others don't have. They can't be as nimble to the changing moods of the marketplace. So there's two good things, uh, one on each side of the equation. Yeah. Um, I like Schroff for all the reasons that you said. You know, like I think that it is important to have that figure. I love those figures. And I've always like seen Shroff on the periphery and had an interest in what he was doing. It was that conversation two years ago that made me kind of have a little uh, bad taste in my mouth about him. And then Beach, Chaz and uh, Derek on Beach Grid do a podcast called Dirty Water. And they actually interviewed Peter last week. And I was really yeah. interested to hear it because I think that this podcast medium will allow me to understand Peter on a different level, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately, I could only get through 10 or 15 minutes of it because Peter was unwranglable and he was so nonlinear in his thinking. There was an element of it that made me sympathetic to him. Like I saw him, I saw a lot of his imperfection and a lot of his, um, uh, I had more sympathy for him just as a human, you know, like I could see where maybe he was insecure and that sort of thing. And so it made me sympathetic to him, but in terms of conveying any ideas, meaningful ideas, I didn't get any of that because 
I tapped into the sympathy part and I was like, oh yeah, I can, I feel bad for him or I also like him for these reasons, but he's not going to give me any information that I can actually walk away from this conversation with is like knowing more about surfboard manufacturing or about why he hates Kelly Slater, you know, or why he hates Firewire. All of that was just completely lost through his ramblings essentially. So. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. I mean, yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, he could still make an amazing surfboard that Noah Dean loves. Yeah. Board looks fun. Yeah. And I like his performance art. Me too. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan. The performance art is fun. Um, I don't know if we're done with the um, electric acid surfboard test, which by the way, very neatly packs into an acronym, which is East. We should just refer to it as East from now on. East. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, in regard to surfboards, I meant to ask you how the um, California surf auction, gold surf auction went. Oh, the California Gold Surf Auction was a huge success. Thanks Good. for asking. Yeah, we sold 59 of the 60 boards. And um, yeah, I mean, super, super excited about it. Thinking about doing another one maybe in the beginning of December, maybe like a Christmas auction, maybe. I don't did, know. Val did values hit projections? Yeah, you know, we had like all auctions there's they're just volatile right some boards go for way more than you expected and some boards didn't go for as much as you expected but um but yeah we were like pretty much middle of the road for everything so it was well, good it was it was quite successful can you I don't uh, want to toot our own horn or anything but we, we're, we're excited about it and we're looking forward to doing another one soon can you tell us what the biggest disparity yeah. was like which one oh. sold for more than you thought which one sold for less than you would have thought um well one of the probably the big surprise was the board that didn't sell which was probably if not my favorite one of my favorite boards which was the dick brewer jack reeves chambered balsa wing pin tail from late 70s has jack reeves and dick brewer's name and pencil on it it's super light it's just like a classic hawaiian brewer you know wing pin that you would see like mr riding you know, in 1979 at Honolulu Bay or something, you know, it's just super beautiful. Kind of right in my wheelhouse as far as uh, my demographic and, you know, the pulling on my <clears throat> heartstrings. But that one had a pretty high reserve and we normally yeah. don't do high reserves, but I just wanted that board in the auction. And so I kind of begged the guy to put it in the auction. He's like, all right, but I'm only going to, you know, he put a high reserve on it, which is fine. But um, we just missed meeting that, that oh, number. Okay. So but anyway it was good very cool um do you want to hear another follow-up to our brazilian conversation yes i've got just enough time for that okay uh filthy the bear one of our uh -oh. big contributors and i don't yes. know if you i don't know if you remember filthy the bear i think it was his wife painted this oil painting a couple of years ago in australia that won an award and they named it surfers are the worst Yes, I do recall that. That was so, really cool. He sent us a couple of the, <laughs> yeah. He sent us a couple of the news clippings from your um, motto from the show. That's so great. So, anyways, he said, "Hey, David and Scott, I was listening to you guys wax lyrical about the Brazilian topic, and I thought I'd highlight another perspective that is being experienced out there. I've been traveling and surfing since the early '90s, and have watched as my repu as the reputation of my own countrymen and women." Australians has gone down the toilet. Much like Brazilians, Australians often travel to Indonesia and other Pacific region countries in large groups. I never travel in a group because I don't want to be a bummer for other surfers when I turn up, but many Australians do. Often I found myself surfing and sharing waves with people from Europe, USA, and of course the locals at spots like Lakey Peak. And when a group of Australians turn up, they completely destroy the relaxed camaraderie that we've all been enjoying. The competitiveness and aggression of groups from either country is similar, meaning Australian and Brazil. I don't go to foreign countries to hang out with other Australians, and so I generally chat with Europeans or other local surfers, and what I found more and more is that Australians and Brazilians are thought of with the same disdain and contempt by the locals, Europeans, or the Americans. 
We are seen as loud, obnoxious, drunk, disrespectful, and aggressive. I often hear things like, oh, you're not with, uh, you're not like other Australians at all. You actually share waves. And this embarrasses me and I can see their point. Anyway, a wise man once said to me, quote, everyone is someone's, is, everyone is someone's asshole, end quote. And it's definitely right. While we're having these conversations about Brazilians, just know that there are people in other places having the exact same conversations about us. Just thought this perspective was important. Keep spitting, filthy the bear. Well, that's a great email and it's right on point. And there's no doubt that there's Brazilians that are like, oh God, look at that boatload of Americans showing up. And, you know, and certainly, um, I mean, I've been in Indo too where, you know, a boatload of Hawaiian pros show up and it's like, oh shit, I'm going to have to paddle in basically, you know, Miles Padaka, Andy Irons, you know, um, you know, a crew, a, a gnarly crew of Hawaiians is pretty, is pretty upsetting from a, from a serene surf standpoint, you know, totally. and, and again, that's probably true of many Californians that show up and yeah. maybe it's just, it's just the selfish nature of our sport, which is why surfers are the worst. They are indeed. Um, embarrassing. Hey, if listeners out there have 30 minutes or an hour to spare, this week, this past week has been really big for uh, surf films. There was a bunch of good movies that came out. Um, you mentioned Stabbing, not Stabbing the Dark. Electric Acid Surfboard Test is a great one. Lost Track, the new film from Need Essentials that's set in yes. New Zealand, is an hour long and it is well worth watching. It's a little bit of a divergence from the previous films that they've put out. Um, in that it's more documentary. There's much more narration in this. It's Torn Martin and his filmmaker Ishka Folkwell on a journey. I forget how long this trip was. I want to say it might have been three months um, through New Zealand on motorcycles. And they score great waves throughout. But again, documentary. So it's like um, the beginning in Australia, packing the bags, getting the boards, how they kind of save money for it and all that sort of stuff to loading up. What do you take on a surf trip for that long if you only have motorcycles as your transport? So, um, and then running into issues along the way, dealing with weather, all that sort of stuff, kind of a, a straightforward documentary, but phenomenal surfing throughout and um, everything that we love to see from Torin. So that's lost track. There's also Rip Curl put out a film called Postcards from Morgue, uh, from Morgues, which was about Morgan Sibillic, and it features the whole Rip Curl team. Since they're not able to do a search film this year because of COVID, they do it all in 10 days in Australia, connecting with the whole team, and it's hilarious and really, really well done. So Postcards from Morgues is also really good. Cool. You know, the, um, the Torn Martin thing, um, to a couple things. One, it made me look for my Need Essentials puffy jacket, which I cannot find anywhere. Your son I'm, took it. I'm going to blame my son. It's like <laughs> probably at somebody's house, long buried and forgotten, and I'll never see it again. And um, two, the opening scene of that movie is actually just an audio clip where they set up this whole. Torn's been in a. In, Torn's been in an injury. They're on the phone to basically 911 calling in this emergency. And then they leave, like, which is the ultimate bite the hook moment, which I bit. And um, so kudos to them for that. And I, I enjoyed the film. I, I watched it. I sort of skipped through it. I ran through it pretty well, did, fast. Did you uh, find out what his injury I was? I didn't. Because okay. I, 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 I skipped through it. Spoil we want it. To, yeah, don't spoil it. Don't I won't spoil, spoil it. it. It isn't Thanks what you think. Let's put it that way. I could give you okay. 10 guesses and you wouldn't have guessed how he got injured. Okay, good. Good. Um, so my, that is, that film is my must-see moment. It's really beautiful. I love everything those guys do. Um, and then my Duke is five-year-old Zachary Taylor for getting barreled at BSR Cable Park. How's <laughs> yeah. this clip, dude? Did you that see it? Insane. Yeah, I did. That thing's mental. Little regular footer just yeah. gets up and like holds a stance, like leaning into the wave. His eyes are probably closed and he, <laughs> he gets a little bit of a pocket ride, like a double cover up 
uh, what would be a double barrel, but it's more of a double pocket ride, but definitely like got the vision, got the stoke and like his stance and style is just so classic. And the fact that you could do that at five years old nowadays is really, how am I going to hate on wave pools at this point? Cause that was, just you know, what's too cool. Interesting is, um, I was down at Scorpion Bay in like, I don't know, 2003 or something like that. Right at the beginnings of the internet. Maybe it was more like 2001 or 2002, but I was down there. And at the time I was working for a magazine, I was the online editorial director. And my friend Colin Smith was there with his family and he had his young son. And his son was probably 18 months old. He was 18 months old. He wasn't wow. probably. He was 18 months old. And Colin's a great surfer. And Colin was on a longboard. And he was taking off at second point on his longboard with his son, who was in a, like, floaty thing and diapers. And Colin was standing on these two-foot waves and literally taking his son and sticking his son into the tube. No way. And then pulling his son out of the tube and then sticking him back into the tube and then pulling him out of the tube. And I have it on video. I, it was like one of the most watched things on surfermag.com when I was the guy in charge there. That is amazing. Was, and I'm sure it's somewhere out there. I mean, I obviously have the raw video somewhere in this office somewhere. But I bet if you searched, you might be able to find it. I don't know. But Colin, it was I'll incredible. Search. I'll 18 Colin months search. old putting his son into the tube and pulling them out like numerous times. You know? That is so <laughs> radical. I would love so his son has got to be like 20 years old. Now we got to yeah. track him down no, and be no. like, do you remember that? Yeah. No, his son's probably right around 20 years old. That's yeah. insane. Um, have you seen Chris Ward posting video or not video? It's mostly, mostly photos of him surfing with his son. No, his son looks horrified, like terrified, dude. That's, that's not good. No, that it is isn't. But I mean, I guess he said, and his wife or his ex-wife has also said, like the son's actually having a blast. But you can see, I don't know about that. You can see Ward getting pretty aggressive, like going for off the tops, and the kid's <laughs> face is like, <laughs> that's not okay. I mean, more power to you. But from what I've seen, there's no quicker way to make your kid into a video video guy than forcing him to surf when <laughs> you don't want to surf. Make him into a video guy. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, okay. good show, Scott. So yeah. not, we're not going to record next week. No, next week. No, I'm going bowling. So the week after? Yes, the week after. And I can set you up with something. Um, I want you to start thinking about um, what media outlets, and I mean like, is it Kook of the Day on Instagram or is it Stab Magazine? Which ones are the most relevant? Our podcast. Because it got me thinking. One. Well, of course. It got me thinking because I, I, I won't go down. I don't want to get started on this, but I want you to be thinking about this. So from the 1960s through the 1990s and maybe into the 2000s, surf media in the U.S. was the most culturally relevant, in my opinion, was Surfer Magazine. And probably in the in Australia, it was either Tracks or Surfing World. But now, of course, this whole thing's been disrupted. So what is the most culturally relevant media outlet, news distribution prism? Where, what, what is it? And I know it's more than one. So let's yeah. just chew I on mean, that. And I, have chew lots, on that. I have lots of thoughts, but I'll save Stop. them. I'll save them for the next show. Save them. And we'll get into that. Something I think about all the time. Okay, talk to you soon. Until next time, adios and aloha.
Love